You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD+, levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is about arrowroot. Arrowroot is an easily digested and kind of nutritious starch, and it's used as a thickener in cooking. What you don't know about this stuff is that it's called arrowroot because it is the antidote for poisoned arrows. This is actually true. I'm not making oh, this up. Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> this means if you ever get shot by a poisoned arrow, you definitely don't want to go to the doctor. You should just eat some kind of processed food with thickening gunk in it. Okay, maybe not. Well, likelihood if you're getting shot by a poisoned arrow, you're in the Amazon and there are no doctors around. So <laughs> uh, there, There's witch doctors, Mark. <laughs> What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash dave for a seven-day free trial. Uh, speaking of Mark, this is none other than Mark Hyman, uh, a good friend, a family physician, a nine times New York Times bestselling author, the director of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine, medical director at the Ultra Wellness Center, and star of the movie Fed Up, if uh, you saw that in 2014, addressing childhood obesity, and all around just amazing guy, uh, Mark Hyman. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Uh, 
Mark, you, you and I, we see each other at conferences all the time and we've gotten to be friends and I was about to just jump up and down when <laughs> you told me about your latest book, when you gave me a chance to read it. It's called, and this is a brilliant title, <laughs> Eat Fat, Get Thin. <laughs> Why the fat we eat the key to sustained weight loss and vibrant health. Now, I mean, you know about Bulletproof Coffee. Everyone listening knows that, that I am a cheerleader for fat. And I was like, okay, it's one thing when a crazy biohacker says, no, you got to eat more fat. It's quite another thing when a guy with your credibility and credentials is like, okay, like, let's talk about fat. Oh, and, and by the way, like, you've worked with a surgeon general on diabetes prevention. Like, you have the power to make, like, the mainstream towers of low-fat propaganda just tip right over. That's I, right. Like, are you having fun with that? It's unbelievable, Dave. The tide is shifting in a dramatic way. You know, I, I, uh, I wrote this book, and I really dug into thousands of papers on science of fat because even I was confused. I mean, I understood sugar really well. Fat, I had a sort of good but not really deep understanding, and I really wanted to know what the story was. So I dug into a 1,000 papers, and I analyzed all the controversial issues about total fat, saturated fat, fat and weight loss, fat and heart disease, and so on. And I, you know, I was going to take this book to the Cleveland Clinic's chief of cardiology, the guy who's the head of the uh, chairman of the cardiology department in the number one heart hospital in the world. And I was a little sheepish, and I'm like, you know, I better go give him a heads up because you know I'm kind of coming out with this book. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I better just, you know, politically kind of just touch base with him. Uh, Steve Ness, an amazing guy, one of the top top guys in cardiology. And I, I sit down with him and I say, oh, Steve, I'm, I'm writing this book. I, I want to, you know, give you a heads up. And uh, he's like, Mark, just stop right there. He says, I, I just have to tell you, we got the whole story wrong on fat. And I think he, we even got the story wrong on saturated fat. And I'm writing an editorial for the Annals of Internal <laughs> Medicine on this. And which, by the way, came out subsequently. And he wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal with Nina Teicholz about yeah. the dietary guidelines challenging this whole dogma of low fat. And I think... You know, we still in America believe that fat is the enemy, that fat's a four-letter word, that low fat is the way to go if you want to lose weight. Even dietitians are saying it. You know, the government is saying it, even though they're sort of not saying it. On one hand, on the other hand, they're saying it. And that fat causes heart disease. But these two ideas, that fat makes you fat and that fat causes heart attacks, have really been discredited by the science. And yet the consumers and the media and most physicians and registered dietitians still don't believe that. Mark, what, one of the most incredible things that's actually happened to me in, in all the, the time that I've been at Bulletproof relates to some of those people you just talked about. Um, I it was at a conference, uh, I think it was Paleo FX uh, with Nina, and we were having a private conversation and wondering back and forth whether it was going to take a class action lawsuit against someone like the American <laughs> Heart Association. And like we were literally talking about this, like what's it going to take to drive this change? Yeah, And I flew from there to a, a, a TV executive's home where I was giving a talk to a group of, of influential Hollywood people about fat and about willpower and food. Yeah, And there was a cardiothoracic surgeon in the room, and I kind of bagged on uh, American <laughs> Heart Association. And at the end of this, she stands up, and it turns out she's one of the very senior people within the American Heart Association. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, I told like all these Hollywood elites to eat butter, and here's someone who's just going to just throw me through the meat grinder. Yeah, right. And I go, look, I really want to know what you have to say. And, and I'm listening. Like, I, I'm open-minded to this. And, and instead of, you know, kicking me in, in the nuts like I expected, she, she looked at the audience and she said, I agree with everything he said. He, she's like, just like you said, Mark, we got it wrong and now people aren't listening to us. 
Yeah. And I, I swear, I, I almost fell over. And yeah. I mean, I, I almost like teared up. So I was like, I'm going to have to fight these guys. I'm going to have to take them down. Stunning. Yeah, it's pretty stunning. But I mean, yeah. They get it. They do. I mean, the American Heart Association and the American Cardiology Association recently came out with a statement saying we should not worry about cholesterol anymore. So yeah. no more egg whites, right? Cholesterol is not the bad guy. <laughs> and the new dietary guidelines, which were released this year in 2016 in January, finally said we should not worry about fat at all. It was the first time since the guidelines were developed in, two, in 1980 that there was a removal of any restriction on dietary fat from the guidelines. So there's no more <laughs> eat low fat, although they're still kind of paradoxically tell you to eat low fat dairy. It's very confusing. It, it, yeah. So they say one thing and they say another thing. It's confusing. But the bottom line is there's no restriction on dietary fat. And the first time they actually said we should reduce added sugars to less than 10% of our calories. That's a good thing. And, and they also removed any restrictions on dietary cholesterol, say we got it wrong. It's no longer, quote, a nutrient of concern. I'm giving a presentation in New York uh, in February about stat, statins, about cholesterol, about heart disease, and about saturated fat. And when I looked at all the data on fat, it was really pretty stunning. Saturated fat, you know, we looked at different kinds of studies. There's observational studies, there's interventional studies. So mm -hmm. I want to see, you know, when you do an experiment, what happens? So there was, for example, a small control trial, about 264 men who'd had heart attacks, and there was no benefit in reducing heart attacks or death um, when you actually reduce saturated fat. There was no benefit. And, the, and then um, the, the other thing is that when you look at heart disease, there was a, a recent review, a meta-analysis of over 72 studies, 600,000 people, 19 countries. They looked at blood levels of fats. They looked at uh, you know, experimental in, interventions around fat. And they found that there was no evidence that total fat or saturated <laughs> fat caused heart disease. But trans fats did. Yes. And omega-3 fats were protective. And the conclusion of the does not clearly support the cardiovascular guidelines that encourage high consumption of polyunsaturated fatty acids and low consumption of total or saturated fat. So they basically exonerated it. And then Ronald Krauss, who was in our fat summit, we had a fat summit of uh, 150,000 people attended. Dave, you were in the fat mm -hmm. summit. Yeah. There were over 30, 30 experts. We looked at this whole story of fat. And, uh, you know, I, Ronald Krauss was there, who's one of the leading researchers from from Oakland, he's in his 70s now, maybe older, I don't know, but he's done so many published papers. I know you've, you've probably seen them. He mm -hmm. did a meta-analysis yeah. of 21 studies, 350,000 people over 23 years. Not a small study. There was no connection to saturated fat and heart disease at all. And, <laughs> and, uh, and also, the only, the only thing I, I found was that if you gave saturated fat in combination with refined carbs or, yes. or starch, I call that sweet fat. So think of donut, French fries, bagel, and butter, right? It's not the butter, it's the bagel, right? So when you eat sweet fat, that's a problem. That causes more harm than good. So I think if people are eating saturated fats and fat in general, it has to be in the context of a very low-carb diet because... Wait a minute, though. If you're going to eat the carbs by themselves, they're going to cause metabolic havoc, Right. It, if you eat the carbs with the fat, they'll maybe cause less havoc, but it's still not good. Like, like in terms of choosing right. the lesser evil, right. It, it, right. it's still better to put the butter on the bagel than to eat a bagel with no butter. Right? Uh, probably. But, probably. Yeah, yeah, I okay. That I agree oh, with you there. Probably, probably. but <laughs> probably. I think. I think. I think the, the 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 problem is this: the way that this combination of fat and sweet in your body works. So saturated fat in the absence of refined carbs and sugar. You know, carbohydrates are fine. It could be with, you know, sweet potatoes or yeah. other starches, but refined carbs and sugar. And in the presence of omega-3 fats, there seemed to be very little harm in all the literature. And I looked at like hundreds of studies, everything. And I also looked at inflammation because, you know, people say, what about saturated fat and inflammation? 
And I think that people are confused about that as well. In the context of a high-carb diet, yes. But in feeding studies, in feeding, and this is fascinating, 12% carbs, very high fat, up to 86 grams of saturated fat. That's almost 50% of your diet, not from fat, but from saturated fat. Yeah. Okay, that's a lot, okay? That's a lot. So butter is only 60% saturated fat. So it's, mm-hmm. it's just a lot of, of, of uh, grams of saturated fat. And they looked at cholesterol. They looked at inflammation. And they found there was no difference at all uh, uh, in terms of harm. In fact, the lowest inflammation was found in the high saturated fat group. And they had lower oxidative stress. They had lower insulin. They had lower triglycerides. And they had more large... HDL particles and more, yeah. I mean, more large LDL protective particles <laughs> and, and more HDL. So on these feeding intervention yeah. studies, it's sort of, you know, it's just both the population studies, the scientific experimental studies, all of it together gives me confidence that I, I'm not really so worried about saturated fat. But I would say this, you know, and I, I don't know how much you've covered this, the genetics matter, right? They so do. that genetics matter. So I, I'm actually not just sitting in my lab doing stuff. I'm, I don't even have a lab actually, although we're doing research at Cleveland Clinic. Um, I'm seeing patients. That's what I do for a living. I'm a doctor <laughs> and I still see patients. And, you know, when you do stuff with patients, you see not everybody's the same. So some people yeah. genetically respond better to fat. Some people don't. And I've seen real variation in the population. I even talked to Dr. Krauss about this. There's real heterogeneity genetically in how people respond to sugar or to fat. So I think that's cr- clear. We know, for example, with sugar and carbs, that if you're certain ethnicities, right? If you're uh, Samoan or South from the South Pacific, Native American, African or African American, Asian, or you're uh, even Indian from India, you're much more likely to be uh, pre-diabetic or diabetic. Tend to be more carbohydrate intolerant. They can't tolerate the same amount of carbohydrate as somebody else. They'll become more diabetic, more likely to gain weight. And I think there's a group of people that are also more fat intolerant. And I think genetically don't do as well with certain types of fat or fat in general. So I think it's a smaller group because by the way 70 percent of americans are overweight and most of them are carbohydrate intolerant so they do better on higher fat diets but i think we have to be you know smart practicing this and we're going to become more sophisticated we'll be able to take a drop of your blood put it on a chip and look at what diet you should be on based on your genetic predispositions and i think that's really important for people to remember it it also leads to a, a new attitude of respect and tolerance uh, when you go to a restaurant or you go to someone's house and, and they're offended that you don't eat whatever they eat, it, it's like, look, if I have a, an Apple iPhone and, and you're an Android phone, like we're both phones and we can call each other and like it's all good, but I can't install your apps on my phone because it just doesn't work. <laughs> That's right? a great analogy. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, we're different, but like we yeah. Yeah, right. So That's good. I, I've found this a lot, and finally, it's like, look, I don't eat things that aren't compatible with my biology. I don't eat things that make me weak, and and there's a long list of things that that I've determined uh, are, don't work for me, and some work okay, and somewhere it's like, look, if I eat that, I'm gonna feel like crap tomorrow, and I'm just unwilling to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not that what they're eating is bad or what I'm eating is good. It, it, it's that no, I, I've cracked that code. Yeah. And some well, of it has to do with fat, some doesn't. And I, th- I always say the best doctor in the room is you and your body, yeah. and you need to listen to it because it will tell you and give you feedback, and you will know how you feel, how your body functions, what your numbers look like. So I always say, let's, let's experiment with my patients. Let's yeah. try this and see what happens. I mean, I had this one patient who was so resistant to weight loss, and her cholesterol was way over 300. Her triglycerides were off the chart, like 300, and I was worried about her. 
And she was struggling and trying to do the right thing and ate a whole foods diet and was following, you know, a really good basic diet. And it was very low in refined sugars and refined carbs, but which wasn't working. So I said, look, let's do something crazy. Let's just try an experiment for six weeks and we'll put you on a very high fat diet, like 70% yeah. fat. Let's just yeah. try that. Okay. Butter, grass-fed butter, coconut oil, you know, olive oil, nuts and seeds, avocados, just go for yeah. it. And cut out all the starches and sugars, no grains, no beans, just see what happens. She's like, calls me back six weeks later, we had an appointment, and she lost 20 pounds, had never been able to lose weight. And <laughs> I love her, that. And her cholesterol dropped 100 points, her yeah. triglycerides dropped 200 points. It was just stunning to me. In, and I, In I thought, six weeks. Yeah. I mean, no, I had a guy, I actually had a guy who did my 10-day detox, which by the way is 50% fat. I don't actually advertise yep. that. So, so is the Bulletproof Diet, by the way. Thumbs up for 50%. Yeah, yep. You know, 50% fat. And I, you know, and I, this guy was sitting at a conference with Toby Cosgrove. This is when I first got my job at Cleveland Clinic. And we're sitting at this very exclusive meeting of very high net worth individuals. And this guy sits down at this dinner table. And one, one side of me is Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos and Toby Cosgrove, right. the CEO, you know, all this, that kind of crowd. And he goes, oh, Dr. Hyman, I can't believe it's you. I just did your 10-day detox. And not only did I lose 10 pounds in 10 days, but my cholesterol dropped 100 points and my triglycerides <laughs> dropped 200 points. And I, my asthma and reflux went away. And I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. What do you say to the, the people with hypercholesteremia, the familial kind? That for people listening, what that means is people who have a genetic predisposition to very high cholesterol. I, I have a good friend. Uh, who who uses bulletproof techniques and and feels amazing and, and got rid of lifelong fatigue on a high fat diet, but he already was on statin drugs since he was a teenager. Yeah. So in, in your did, 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 his, did his cholesterol go up or down on that? Uh, it it went up a little bit, but it was already north of three hundred. So he's hovering on three four hundred no matter what he does. And on statins and a low fat diet that ruins his life, he can get it down to you know one ninety, but then he hates his life. Yeah. And I have a few other people who've reached out to me, clients or uh, just yeah. people on the Bulletproof forums. And I, I don't really have an answer other than like you have to start hacking. You need to try which carbohydrates yeah. are ruinous for you, which ones aren't. But what, I mean, you know a lot more than this. You're, you're a doctor. I'm a hacker. <laughs> so like, like what, what do you do with people like that? I'm a, I'm a licensed biohacker. <laughs> you're an unlicensed biohacker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think like I, I said before, I, I customize and teach patients. So okay. for those patients, I might be a little more cautious about saturated fat and might work on other kinds of fat. Right, I might do more monounsaturated, more omega three fats, you know, more nuts and seeds, uh, more avocados, uh, and I might, you know, pull back on the saturated fat because it does it does raise HDL a lot. So I think you have right. to see the sensitivity of people, and, and there is no such thing as familial. I mean, there, the homozygous dominant form is like one in a million, right? It's very right. rare unless you like breed with your sister, then it's more common. But if like <laughs> if you don't bulletproof technique, don't breed with your sister. All right, done. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, you know essentially it's it's pretty rare. Uh, the 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 heterozygous form is more common. So that's where you mm -hmm. have like one copy of the gene. It's less of a problem, but it's real. And I think those people do get heart disease. And I think those pa patients might might need cholesterol lowering medication or statins. But I would also you know look at all the other risk factors for heart disease because it's not just cholesterol that's the issue. It's inflammation. It's oxidative stress. It's your methylation pathways, it's toxins in the environment, it's your insulin sensitivity. It's a whole host of things that you have to look at in order to sort of see how to fix your risk of heart disease. I talk about that in the book too, because I, I just I take down yeah. statins pretty hard and I, <laughs> I, I take down this whole cholesterol myth pretty hard. 
And I really, then people go, well, what do I do then? Like, how, what is the real cause? And, and how do I fix it? And I, I, I think there are, are people who do need statins, but it's very, very few in my mind. And I think, and why, you know, why do you recommend statins versus something that just binds to cholesterol? There's uh, the natural side of things. Yeah, cholesterol. Because it, it, it gives you gas and reflux and constipation. That's still painful but, to but take. Act- Activated charcoal, right? If you look at activated yeah. charcoal, it, yeah. it binds to bile in a similar way and binds yeah. to cholesterol and causes excretion. And yeah. uh, there are studies, not of anything that I make, but just studies of activated charcoal in general yeah. that say like a 15% reduction in LDL, in, at least in right. the study I'm well, thinking of. Well, Bruce Jenkins did a great study. He used whole soy foods. He used mm-hmm. um, fiber, viscous fiber, soluble fiber. And he used, uh, um, I think, almonds and plant sterols. Which, right. are, which are plant compounds that are fats that help reduce cholesterol. And he compared that to statins, and there was as, as much of a reduction in a, in a complex intervention components as statins. So I tend to you know, use all these things in combination. I'll use aggressive fiber, and I use, for example, PGX, which is a form of fiber that's made from cognac root, not the cognac you drink, but it's a Japanese fiber root, like a tuber that's very viscous, mm-hmm. absorbs a lot of water, and can dramatically reduce cholesterol and the bad cholesterol and it can also um help reduce blood sugar and i you know i think that um i use plant sterols i'll use all sorts of herbs like berberine polycosinol uh i i used for a while but i didn't find it that effective that's not the sterile you use okay what sterols do you use uh well like there's there's just a combination of like um uh stemosterol and a whole bunch of different plant sterols that are in combinations that i use and uh, and there there's berberine, which is effective, red rice yeast. Uh, I use a bunch of combinations of things, and often we'll see dramatic results. But everybody, again, everybody's different. Some people respond yeah. dramatically, others don't, you know. Now, I, I'm going to ask a question that, and, and we don't arrange these questions ahead of time. I don't do it with any guests, but also like we're friends. We just talk about stuff. So y- you were in Moldy, uh, the documentary. I was, Toxic yeah. Mold. One of the most impactful quotes that's made me question a lot of, of research out there comes from A.V. Constantini, who wrote uh, the Fungal Bionics series. This is a WHO researcher who spent a lot of time looking at, at uh, basically the effect of toxins in food and the environment on all sorts of human diseases. And he has a whole book like with 900 references about heart disease. And there's a quote on the front. It says, there is a known cause of atherosclerosis. It is mycotoxins. Huh. And his theory, and I'm not saying it's only right, I'm just saying it's interesting, is that these are toxins that, that bind to and dissolve into fats. Wait, 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 is this, there is a known cause or the known cause? He says there, there is, let's see, there is a known cause of, right. of it. I think and that's I, I'm sure it's multifactorial, like there's more right. than one thing that's contributing. Right. But what always scared me about these, these things about fat, well, if the fat has fat-soluble stuff that disperses in it, that causes lesions in your arteries like it does in animal feed that we know about, like in pigs. They monitor this stuff in pig feed because it goes into the fat. But if, if it goes into our fat, it causes the same thing. I, I feel like a lot of the studies on fat haven't tested the fat to see if it's actually clean fat versus fat that has things that are known to cause lesions in your arteries in it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is a real problem, Dave. And I, I, I think it's really been underappreciated. But, you know, if we look at how toxins are stored, there's something called persistent organic pollutants. And these are the 80,000 plus chemicals in the environment. They're pesticides, they're fertilizers, they're herbicides, they're phthalates, PCBs, BPA, yeah. you know, dioxin, you name it, it's everywhere. And the average person is just full of them. So 
fact, there was a fat biopsy registry that was done on cadavers, and 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 the average human had you know high levels of most of the common toxins out there. Um, so basically, if we were food, we wouldn't be safe to eat, right? We would be on the <laughs> do not eat list because we'd be so. That's toxic, a great quote, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I think if if we if we look at animals. Well, they're in the environment too, and they're exposed to the air and the water and the feed and all the stuff that even if they're grass-fed, organic, whatever, whatever, it's still a concern for me. So I, I do worry about it because that's where the toxins concentrate in the fat. And, yeah. and so we, I think we don't have a way of really looking at it. I don't think anybody's actually gone to the trouble of testing it. What about testing olive oil versus grass-fed butter? Yeah. The level of toxins in each of them, I don't know. Uh, maybe no, but I, I think it, it is a concern for me. So part of what we do in functional medicine is really focus on how do you upregulate detoxification and how do yes. you maximize your body's excretion of these things and what can you do? And I think, you know, your things like activated charcoal, cholestyramine are great, but there's all sorts of ways to upregulate your body's natural capacity to get rid of junk. What are your, your top three favorite ways of upregulating? I mean, everyone <laughs> listening has to want to know that now. Well, I, I have a personal interest in this because, you know, you were poisoned by mold. I was poisoned by mercury. Yeah, oh, me too. I had the whole mercury chelation as well. Okay, I didn't realize we had that in common even. Yeah, okay. that's actually so, what ha- helped me biohack my way out of this because no one could figure it out. I was so <laughs> sick. And my mercury yeah. after a challenge test was 187. So you probably know Whoa. that's like just off the chart, right? Yeah. Completely off the chart. So I, I, um, I, I do a couple of things. One is I, I make sure I have a few cups of brassicas every day, like broccoli, yep. collards, kale, Brussels sprouts. I don't want them to have that much raw brassicas because they can nuke your thyroid. I mean, I, I, I love you, man. <laughs> You're so right on this stuff. Okay. I, I, I actually read a report in the New England Journal that this woman thought bok choy was healthy, so she decided two pounds of raw bok choy every day, and uh, a little crazy. <laughs> but she ended up in a hypothyroid coma. Whoa. Yeah. So you know, you can drink too much water. You can eat too much bok choy. And so I think I, I make sure I eat those. Garlic, garlic is a great detoxifier. And then I make sure I do things to help my body excrete. So I make sure I have plenty of fiber. So I'm excreting and my bowels are moving really frequently. I make sure I drink lots of water to flush my system. I make sure I sweat. I have a steam and a sauna. I go in regularly. I exercise, which helps you detoxify. And then I use a whole host of, I know this is more than three, but anyway. <laughs> uh, this is great. Now keep going, man. Don't stop. <laughs> and then I use a whole host of, of nutrients that help me yeah. support my, my liver detoxification. So methylation support's really important. That's yeah. B6, folate, B12. Uh, I use also things that help me boost glutathione, whether it's green tea, whether it's catechins in green tea, whether mm-hmm. it's things like N-acetylcysteine or, um, or alpha-lipoic acid or milk thistle. I, I make sure I do things to upregulate selenium. Uh, and I make sure I have all the cohort of nutrients to help my, my liver detoxify. And so I've written a lot about detoxification, oh, yeah. you know, living clean and green in many of my books. And I think I explain how do you, you know, how do you make sure you, you get your liver working and your, your whole detox system working? Because it's critical. Sometimes I, I even use IV glutathione as a way of just sort of keeping myself going. I do too. I, I've traveled. Track like marks, I, post, huh? <laughs> yeah, I posted a picture of my track marks the other day. I'm like, hopefully I'm not offending anyone with this, but like these are the good track marks, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, no, it's so true. So, so it, I find it absolutely refreshing that as a physician, you're talking about all this stuff and, and you're being really open about it because if this is what you're doing for your own health and performance and you have a pretty stressful life, you're, you're launching a book 
you know, yeah. eat fat, get thin. I, I would imagine you're destined for the, the New York Times list again for probably your 10th time if, if this happens. And I know how hard a book launch is. So you're, you're pushing hard on multiple fronts all the time. Uh, you're, you're moving the needle in a big way. So you're, you have more toxic exposure and more stress exposure than most people listening to the show right now. Yeah, maybe. It's all, you know, yeah. Yeah, but, but in order to handle that, you're also supporting your system with all yeah. of these things. And, and that's well, something a, that most people are missing today. Yeah, there's a couple of secrets. One of my secrets. Yeah. <laughs> so number one is, is your mind. Your mind is your worst <laughs> enemy, right? Yeah. Or it could be your best friend. And it all has to do with how you perceive your life. And if you perceive yeah. your life as stressful, it's stressful. You know, if you perceive your life as fun and adventure. So I think, you know, there are objective things that are traumas for sure. For sure. Yeah. Those are real. But most of the things that we suffer from is our own monkey mind causing a lot of sufferings. I've learned yeah. over the years to, you know, basically tell it to shut up, leave me alone. I'm busy. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I've got things to do and just don't bother mm -hmm. me. And, uh, and I actually believe that, you know, I he I'm here to do good work and I'm here to, yeah. Have fun, and I'm here to you know be engaged and and bring love and intelligence and healing to the world, and that's what I do every day. So that sort of inspires me. And then I make sure I take care of this machine, you know, right? Right. right? So I exercise, I sweat, I get enough sleep, I eat great food, and I take my supplements, and I make sure I spend time with friends and connect. And sometimes I go hard. Sometimes I'm on a sprint. Sometimes I can you know just kind of do a nice stroll. I just try to figure out how to fit those things in my life that create balance. And sometimes it's not perfect. You know, sometimes my days are just too long when I'm in Cleveland and I'm working, you know, from six in the morning till 10 at night. I mean, it just, it puts a number on me and I, but then I recharge. So I came back home and I went to yoga and I, you know, took a sauna and, and took a beautiful walk for three hours in the woods with some friends. You know, I just figure out how to put it all together. It, it was interesting. I, I sort of put it on you like, like this is stressful stuff. And in my mind, I was thinking, well, this is biologically stressful because you're on airplanes, because you're in hotels, because you don't yeah. you don't always get access to good food, and because your sleep is disrupted, right? Because yeah. you're all this flying, right? Um, but even then, your cognitive immune system—I I don't mean you know, yeah. like, like it's like you rejected the idea that it was stressful, right? There, no, it's actually not stressful because it's fun, and right. I, I have the well, same experience, right? <laughs> it's true. I mean, the 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 one thing that really kind of got me was, you know, the definition of stress, which is yeah. cellular, which is stress is the perception, right? It's a perception of a real or an imagined threat to your mm -hmm. body or your ego. So it could be a real threat to your body, like someone having a gun to your head. That's stressful. Okay. Right. Guaranteed. Or it could be an imagined threat to your ego. Like you think your wife's cheating on you, but she's actually not. She's just at work you know, and you create <laughs> right. this whole story in your head that creates a stress response and it's not even true. So I think that's that's where you know you can actually have a lot of control because most of us don't have real danger anymore. Yeah, you know, and uh, I, you know, so I was in the office at Cleveland the other day, and I'd been working. It was a long day. I was in the office at six thirty, and we had patients all day. And I'm like, I got to go give a presentation tonight. I need to do some exercise. I need to do something. So I said to some some of the workers in my office, "Let's go do the seven minute workout." You know, it's like seven minute high intensity interval training. Let's put some mm -hmm. music, and they're like, "Oh, we." We, you know, we're working. I'm like, listen, nobody's dying. We're not in the ICU. Let's just go here. <laughs> Seven minutes. Let's do it. And so we put on some music and we all, it was like, it was like everybody started coming in the room. We all started working out. It was just so fun. And, you know, people can just take that minute to stop and just be, and it's great. It, it is. And, and it also highlights the difference between, um, 
struggling and working hard, right? So you're you're working hard, but you're doing it in a in a way where you're providing value to to the world. You're spreading your message around fat and around all the other things that are possible for us to do. If someone else in a similar position could be like, "Oh, it's such a struggle. I'm you know I'm working so hard." And it's the lack of struggle that makes it easy. But it's not because it was easy to start with, right? It's, no, it's because no. I mean, you, you have to get out of your own way. Right, you have to get yeah. out of your own way. That's the key, and I well, you, I find that really helpful. All right, now this is way off the topic of fat, and I want to <laughs> I want to circle back to fat. Well, but you know, I, I, just, actually, the thing is, the more yeah. fat I've eaten, it's fascinating. The more fat <laughs> that I've eaten, my brain is sharper. I mean, honestly, yeah. I, I wrote my book, this one, Eat Fat, Get Thin. I wrote it on bulletproof. <laughs> oh, did you really? <laughs> I, You're the I man. Would wake, <laughs> I would wake up in the morning, and I'd have my MCT oil. And my uh-huh. company, and I would just like sit down. I would write, and be like, "How do you write so many books?" I'm like, "Well, yeah. you know, it's and I and I just found my my mind was alert. I was focused, and it just helps me. And my body's changed. You know, like I I looked back at pictures of my body when I was, and I've never been fatter, but I was probably 15 pounds heavier, and I had a little love handles, and you know, my body wasn't muscular. And I, even though I ran like five miles a day, I was a vegetarian. Right. Like I didn't know. Like I thought I wasn't really out of shape i just was not in a nice shape and then i'm 56 now and i take my shirt off i look in the mirror i'm like wow like i might <laughs> like i've got a six pack and i don't work out that much i work out yeah. less than i used to and i'm more fit it's just a strange phenomenon like it's really powerful it, it's powerful and it it's one of those things where look we all have this this capacity and if the food you put in and all the other crap programming you have takes away all that capacity. It was always there. And I, I, never, I never knew that either, but the same things happened. Um, I was on a, a Dr. Drew's show. I'm guessing you must have met Dr. Drew yeah. uh, you know, from Loveline. And he also kind of fell in love with Bulletproof uh, to my great surprise and, and delight and uh, just with the coffee. And the first time I went on, he didn't say something, but the second time I went on, after I've been doing this for like eight years now with just the amounts of butter that, that I was a little afraid of, but I'm like, the studies sure. support me. I'm just going to do this. Right. And he's like, Dave, you look like someone who who was never fat. Because when I first met you, you look like someone who lost 100 pounds. But now, like, so I think over time, something's happening. Right. right. And I've seen a study that said the half-life of fat in our cell membranes is oh my 700 God, yeah. days. Can, yeah. can you talk a little bit about how long it takes to like get rid of all the fat, like that's, that's structural fat in the body, I not mean, the bad that's fat? That's really important. So, so there's two kinds of fat, right? There's, there's yeah. storage fat, which is like your, your fat cells, but there's also fat that's just part of who you are. You know, Your yeah. brain, for example, is 60% fat, and most of it's omega-3 fats. Your cell membranes, you have 10 trillion cells, and every single one of them has a baggie around it, a cell membrane that's made of fat, and it has right. to be made of the right fat. If it's made of Crisco mm-hmm. and not fish oil, that's a big problem. It's a very big problem. Yeah, and it takes a long time for you to rebuild your membranes, rebuild your cells, and it can take years, really. So I always say people need an oil change. <laughs> you know, we need <laughs> we need an oil yeah. change because we got the wrong oil. We got to rinse out the old oil and put in the new oil. And by putting in the good oils, you literally change structure of your body you change the structure of your tissues and how they function because your cells are like the ears that listen to messages from everywhere in your body in order for you to receive those messages and cells to communicate things to function you to be happy to have happy immune system happy brain function all of it depends on this great communication and if your cell membranes aren't functioning right because they're stiff or 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 they're or they're uh, inflamed or they have 
the wrong combinations of fats in the membranes, you can't function very well. And we see this. We see uh, there was a, a Hiblin, Hiblin, I talked about this in the book. You might know Hiblin from the NIH. Did a lot of the research on omega-6 fats and omega-3 fats. Right. And he found that when we started eating like 20% of our calories of soybean oil, right? right? Uh, it's crazy, right? It's a thousand-fold increase since the 1900s. <clears throat> we actually found that there was an increase in homicides, suicides, violence uh, from those countries that increased the omega-6 and decreased the omega-3s. And when you switch wow. that up, the opposite happens. And I've seen these studies where you give omega-3s to prisoners, violent crime goes down <laughs> in the prison. It's amazing. Now, there's a flip side to this too. And I've looked a lot at cell membrane chemistry. Uh, um, doubtless we've read some of the same papers over the years. You've probably read a lot more than I have. Uh, if you go really high dose fish oil and you get excessive fluidity in the cell membrane, like, like what are the risks? What happens if you do that? Well, it's like anything, right? I mean, if you eat too much bok choy, you're going to go in a coma. If you drink too much water, you're going to hyponate tree make. If you, you know, have too much anything, you, you oxygen, you'll die. I mean, oxygen toxicity. Right. So all these things that are potentially good for us can also have a, a dark side if you take an excess amount. Now, the Inuit uh, had 19, I think, uh, 19 grams a day of omega-3 fat, which is a lot. That's like, yeah. that's like 19 times more than I usually recommend or 10 times more than easy recommend. So that's a lot, and yet they were fine. So I think you know our bodies have some capacity to handle things within a range. But I think you know it just doesn't mean you should be drinking. And it's hard. The only way to get that much fish oil is to drink it. You know. Yeah. I mean, and you have to drink a lot of it. And I, I don't recommend that. I've known a few people who are like get on health kick. Well, I'm gonna have you know, three glugs from the fish oil bottle. Like like literally, that's a quote from someone. I'm like I don't think that's a good idea. Now, how much is a glug exactly? It, it's like got to be at least like a tablespoon or something. <laughs> I, I don't know, but but uh, measurement a glug. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen guys on 30, 40 grams a day, and their skin looks like it's kind of melting off their body. Like like they don't look healthy. They look sallow and pale, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And so th there's a an ideal amount. A lot better. It's not like that. Yeah, and, and when you when you draw blood and you look at this ratio of omega six to omega three, and I've asked a few other guests. I just talked to Barry Sears about this uh, the other day on, on Bulletproof Radio. I don't even know if you might get published before his gets done because we're putting this oh. out for your book launch. But um, I, like, what's the ideal ratio in your work between, from omega six to omega three when you draw blood on someone? What do you want to see? Well, you know that's a good question. So, so guys like Walter Willett say it doesn't matter. There's no evidence. Guys like <laughs> yeah, but he says there's no evidence for anything. So, like, uh, well, he's you know I, I, he's an interesting guy. He's a smart guy. I, I mean, I know him. I respect him. He's yeah. really fine. I mean, he called out trans fats. He helped us yeah. really put a lot of stuff on the on the map that we didn't know about. But that, that's uh, a fair point. But he, you know, but I think that that uh, there's a lot of evidence from the Simonopoulos, from NIH, and and Hiblin from the NIH that that we do need a balance. And so the question is, what should be the balance? So you can look right. historically and say, well, what was the balance? What, what, how much did we eat? And I, I review that in the book because for each of the fats, you know, I say, what was our historical consumption of these fats? And, and from the typical diets of hunter-gatherers, what did they look like? And, and you know, the omega-6 to 3 ratio, depending on where you lived, if you were a coastal, you know, like, a, like an Inuit, and then you, all you're eating was omega-3 fats from fish, you'd have a higher amount. But it was probably yeah. one to one to two to three to one. And uh, so one to one, omega-6 to omega-3, two to two or three to one for omega-6 to omega-3. And, and so we actually test people in our, in our clinic, mm -hmm. and we look at the omega-3s, omega-6s, the ratio, the arachidonic to EFA ratios, and we look at all these patterns, and we can see 
you know, the people who don't consume a lot of fish are typically very omega-3 deficient. And if you're a vegan and you don't take fish oil or you don't take a, a lot of uh, the uh, precursors, which are ALA, although they don't convert very well for yeah, most people. 45 to 1, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard. Unless, you know, there's so many things that interfere with the ratio, I mean, with the conversion of ALA to EPA and DHA, which is the good fats you want. Uh, because we're toxic, because we have nutrient deficiencies. There's all these things that ensure this enzyme. Uh, then, then you, you know, you need you need to get the preformed DHA or EPA, and you can get that from sometimes plant foods like algae, but algae. most of the time it comes from fish. And and I think people do do need it, and and far more than Americans have. Ninety plus percent are deficient. So I think we have way too much refined oil in our diet. I mean, twenty percent of our calories. <laughs> And, you know, we have almost no omega-3. And I think that is creating a huge havoc in the body. And I, I mentioned before, saturated fats, and some of the research I overturned was saturated fats can be a problem and drive some inflammation if you don't have adequate omega-3s because they increase, right. you know, some of the um, acosinoids that drive inflammation. So, so Barry Sears said, you know, uh, he was afraid of butter because the palmitic acid in it would be so bad, uh, which isn't my experience. I, I track my inflammation dramatically and in, in Butter, at least when I eat the rest of the Bulletproof diet, and which isn't very, you and I are, I, I don't know, there's probably nuances and where we disagree, but I, I would open your book and say, do what that says to anyone, and I'm, I'm totally good with, 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 with that. <laughs> yeah. So let's say we're eating the way we eat. Uh, what is your take on palmitic acid in, in the context of the whole diet versus doing that? Well, it's fascinating. We look at the research on palmitic acid. In the blood, palmitic acid and stearic acid are even chain saturated fats that have been linked to heart disease. They do cause heart disease. So that's an important thing to note. Then the question is, what causes high levels of those fats in the blood? Is it saturated <laughs> fat? Is sure. it actually eating the saturated fat? So the, the real question is, what causes high levels of palmitic and stearic acid in the blood? Is it saturated fat or not? So this is actually well-documented, and it's fascinating. This is one study I said where they gave 86 grams 86 grams of saturated fat, not just fat, but saturated fat. Uh, that's was, a big load. Yeah. There was no impact on blood levels of saturated fat. So the saturated fat you eat does not change your blood level of saturated fat. That is like a, when I read that, I was like, oh my God, I didn't know that. That's like nice. A, I didn't fun. know that either, Mark. That's There that's you huge. go. I taught Dave yeah. asked me something. That's impressive. Of course. That's impressive. So uh, yeah, you should check out this literature. It's fascinating. And, okay. and so the palmitic and stearic acid are formed through a process that's in the liver called lipogenesis. Yes. What causes lipogenesis? Sugar, fructose, refined carbs, they all drive actually this process of producing lipogenesis. They produce saturated fat. They produce palmitic acid, stearic acid. They increase triglycerides, lower HDL, they create inflammation, they cause fatty liver. This is a nasty thing that happens. So when you increase insulin, you're actually increasing this activity called lipogenesis. So when you eat fat, it inhibits lipogenesis. In fact, I don't know if you know this study, but there was a fascinating study where they were giving alcohol to rats to give them liver, fatty liver, mm -hmm. and then they gave them MCT oil. <laughs> Sorry, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> no, it does work. No, MCT oil is protective, right? Yeah, so when they, they try to give them fatty liver, and then they, they see, they actually, even while they were still drinking, and they had these yeah. drunk rats, they were still able to reverse the fatty liver using MCT oil. 
So that so, is remarkable. Yeah, and that has to do with this fact of how the liver is affected by carbs and sugar. So, yeah, but I mean, in, in that study, Mark, just just to, for people listening, they didn't use all four MCT oils because there's four kinds of MCT oil. They only used two of the four. Yeah, and, and that that's a big thing because there's companies out there selling the long chain fat that's that's artificially labeled as medium chain lauric acid as if yeah. it has these special right. effects that MCTs right. have. It it's it, it's technically an MCT, but biologically it's a long chain fat. Yeah. Right, so that's that's really this fascinating data. So I think, uh, you know, I think we have to just be smart. And so, but according to what Barry said, you know, yeah, palmitic acid in the blood is bad, but how do you get it? Eating carbs, not fat. So I'm not worried about having red palm oil, which is from uh, non-conflict palm oil, which is meaning they don't tear down rainforests and use kids to, you know, harvest it, and you know, it's sort of a horrible practice, and you know, erase the orangutan habitats in Indonesia and Malaysia. Yeah. I'm talking about like non-conflict palm oil uh, yeah. in moderation. That's okay, and I think uh, you know, coconut oil is okay. But I think you know, we we, we shouldn't worry about palmitic acid in our diet. Yeah, my, my what do you think? Is, uh, my experience is that it's simply not inflammatory uh, when you eat it in conjunction with the kind of diets we recommend, where you don't eat sugar with it, eat vegetables yeah. and meat with it, and. Yeah. It like the numbers aren't right. there for inflammation. Yeah. Like it's empirical evidence. It's right. like you can do it to yourself. You can draw your blood, and you'll see if, if it's causing inflammation. Right. The other thing uh, I want to say other- is really really important is that is that if you look at your plate, right, probably fifty <laughs> to seventy five percent of your plate should be vegetables by yes. volume by volume. Right, like calories fifty percent is fat. Fat doesn't take up a lot of volume, right? Yeah, a couple of tablespoons of olive oil—that's a lot of fat, but you know, a couple of tablespoons of olive oil probably has more calories than an entire pile of vegetables, right? So by volume, your plate should be mostly vegetables. By calories, mostly fat. There's a, a strange thing. It, back in 1994, when DSHEA was being made, this is the regulation that allows us to take supplements without treating them like drugs, the stuff the pharmaceutical industry is still trying to overturn so they can make uh, basically lots more money and restrict our access to supplements. But back around that time, they were categorizing fats as you know, saturated fats and medium chain triglycerides, which are technically saturated, they got lumped in with long chain fats, even though biologically they have entirely different yeah. effects on the body. Yeah. They're, they're metabolized differently. Can you walk through some of the differences there? Because when I put my quote, my recommendations are at least 50% of your calories from fat, up to 70 or even 80, and of that, at least half of it should be saturated. But I also pour brain octane, which is one of the four medium chains. I pour it on after all the other fat, and it technically is a fat, but it metabolizes yeah. differently. Can you walk through the differences and yeah. how your body works on those fats? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, there, there's two things. One is, what does the data show around how it affects the body? Because you can get into the biochemistry, that's interesting. But yeah. I think, you know, I'm really, that's what I'm at the end of the day as a doctor. Yeah. You're a clinician, right. Right, right. So I, th- I think that that the other the other thing that um, and I'll, I first I'll answer your question, which is they're absorbed differently. They don't have to go through the lymphatic system. They're not metabolized in the same way. They actually are super fuel for your mitochondria that produce energy. They help improve your your fat metabolism. They help to reduce your your um, fat storage. And they actually shown to do that in many many trials when they're done experimentally, comparing corn oil, let's say, and MCT oil. Their metabolism is faster. Their calorie burning is faster. Their fat, their visceral fat goes down. Their triglycerides go down. I mean, everything gets better when you use higher levels of MCT oil. So it, the data is pretty impressive on that. And I think it's it's interesting. You're, you're, I would credit you with bringing this to popular attention. 
Most people have never oh, heard of MC Tool. Uh, a few geeky, you know, fitness people knew about it. A few geeky scientists, but it wasn't something that was out there that people were talking about. It's used therapeutically in various products that that are used in medicine, but it's really was something that was sort of like, what is that? You know, it's not something we really paid attention to. But I would I would credit you with really bringing this to light for people and helping them understand it, and 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 helping people know that it's it can be part of an effective strategy for getting healthy, for helping your brain. I mean, I, I use it in my Alzheimer's patients. I use it in kids who are autistic. I mean, I use it in all sorts of patients. So I think it's really, it's really uh, you know, a powerful substance that's very different qualitatively and biochemically than other fats. Do you count it in your 50% in, in eat fat, get thin? You're like 50% of your calories from fat. Does MCT oil or the specific subtypes that, that I use, uh, do those count in the 50% or are they something here's, else? Here's the truth. When I analyze a diet, that's what it is. But I don't, I don't think it's helpful for people to think I am out of this many grams of carbs, this many grams yeah. of fat, this many grams of protein. Agreed. Uh, I like, have this many calories. Like I drive myself crazy trying to. <laughs> and then on yes. top of that, on top of that, you have to be you know a PhD in nutrition. And on top of that, if you were, you probably get it wrong half the time. So it's super yeah. hard to think that way. So I think about what should I eat. If I just figure out what should I eat and include those foods in my diet every day, the math takes care of itself, right? Yeah. Math takes care of itself. So if I'm not eating sugar and refined carbs, I'm eating protein, vegetables, nuts and seeds, olive oil, avocados, coconut butter, MC2, I just sort of, I don't worry about it. Like I just make food and then it sort of takes care of itself. <laughs> well, what do you say to the, it, it's usually the hyper exercise, like like the the fitness crowd. I, I get a lot of these like, like you know, young, uh, young kind of, I, I, I'll, I'll use double blind placebos to discredit whatever, but they're going to look at a high fat diet and go, there's too many calories in there. I, I, my favorite is there's 460 calories in a large cup of bulletproof coffee. Therefore it makes you fat. And I'm like, okay, but you don't drink the whole cup if you don't want okay. to. And it's like, like, what do you say to people say, well, high fat diet makes you fat. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's talk about that. that. That's, that's the whole thesis, right? Of the book is eating yeah. fat doesn't make you fat. So, right. So, um, you know, David Ludwig, who's, you know, is a friend of mine, and yeah. he's a, one of the top researchers, Harvard, Stanford, MD, PhD, brilliant guy. And he said, Mark, think about it this way. If you have a type 1 diabetic, they, before they get diagnosed, they're starving, they're eating like crazy. I mean, one of the characteristics of alephagia, which means they're hungry all the time and they're eating all the time, they could be eating 10,000 calories a day and they're losing weight. So how does that work if, if, if weight <laughs> is a math problem? right? So what's missing in that equation is insulin. Yeah. Insulin, because their pancreas pooped out. So they have no insulin, they can't store fat, right? Even if they're eating, right? Whatever they're eating, doesn't matter. So in the absence of food that spikes insulin, I mean, protein will, right? Fat won't. So fat doesn't do that. And so you, it's not just a math problem. You can eat actually Mm -hmm. more calories and you won't gain weight if you're eating the right calories because your body will burn them and not store them. And, and then fat actually induces the release of fat from your fat cells. Fat yeah. actually cuts your hunger so you end up eating less anyway. You're not going to eat so much in the course of a day. And it actually helps with fat burning. So it, it speeds your metabolism, releases fat from the fat cells, and cuts your hunger, which carbs do all the opposite. When you go Build, you know, increases in insulin. It's an anabolic hormone. It pushes fat into the fat cells. It reduces the available metabolic fuel in your bloodstream. So you're all of a sudden you're like, oh my god, you know, where did all the food go? And so your body kicks in hunger. It reduces your metabolism. It's like a starvation response. So 
you know, you could be eating a ton of food and your body thinks you're starving because you're eating all driving away from your bloodstream into your cells and your fat cells, which are like hungry fat cells soaking up all this food because of the insulin. So if you eat fat and it, even if it's a bulletproof, you're not going to, I mean, you don't, you just don't. <laughs> it, it's really funny because the reason there's no protein in bulletproof coffee is because protein raises insulin a little bit. And the reason there's no sugar in there is because it raises insulin. I'm like, let's, what would you drink to be full and have no insulin effect? There's only one choice. It's fat. And then you pick the right fats, right? right? right. Like, okay, right. there's other complexities in there. But the basic thinking was like, you know, you talk to Gary Tobbs. I, I met him, geez, I think in like 2008 or 2007 or something. I'm like, this is amazing. And, right. and you look at all that stuff, and it, it just seems to make sense that controlling insulin is a part of the equation but it's not the only part. What are the other big variables in there that, that people should think about when they say, oh, you know, fat is going to make you fat, calories are going to make you fat, stuff like that? So you, you look at, at all the factors, right? You look at your genetics, your predispositions, how much carbohydrates you can have, your overall fiber in your diet. I mean, in, for example, in the Walter, one of the Walter Willis studies, he found that in 40-something thousand men, those who had a high saturated fat diet but lots of fiber at the same time, they didn't seem to have any risk. So I think you can mitigate your risk by actually looking at the whole complex of your diet. Okay. What do you eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner on an average day? Okay, well, for breakfast, I have two options, my favorite two options. I have a fat shake, which okay. is uh, typically nuts and seeds. So I have chia seeds, hemp seeds, um, walnuts, pumpkin seeds, and I'll put in um, almond butter, coconut butter, and usually blueberries, wild small blueberries. Uh, some coconut milk, and I blend it up, and it's delicious. It's very dense, high, high, high protein, high fat, very low sugar. I'll have avocados and uh, some greens, and then I'll pour olive oil on it. So I have fat on fat on fat. For yep. lunch, for lunch, I would have, let's say, a, like my favorite is arugula. That's one of my favorite lettuces. This is also in the sort of a detox family. And I put on, let's say, pumpkin seeds or pine nuts, and I put on olives, and I'll put on avocados, and I'll put on olive oil. So it's fat on fat on fat on fat and a salad, right? And I'll put even a can of salmon, wild salmon on there. So there's mm -hmm. more omega-3 fats or sardines. So that's a typical lunch and dinner. I just have a piece of protein. Let's say so that's mostly plant foods until dinner. Yeah. Uh, Mark would talk BB6. You know, but I'll have, then I'll have either grass-fed lamb, sometimes a grass-fed beef, but I don't I eat that, that much bison I like. Uh, sometimes I'll have a fish. I'll have fish, uh, shrimp, scallops, fish, and uh, mm -hmm. low mercury fish, and I'll have a ton of vegetables. So probably 50% of my plate will be vegetables, and I get unlimited refills on that side. And then yeah. uh, you know, occasionally I'll have a half a sweet potato, and, and then maybe for dessert I'll whip up some blackberries with some coke, a can of coconut milk and the frozen blackberries and have a dessert. Well, I'm coming to your house because <laughs> you're one of the few guys who would, uh, you know, who, who I'd, I'd sit down and we would absolutely eat that. Uh, yeah, totally. Quick question on, on, and this is maybe just a trivial thing. I've been looking at chia seeds, relatively high in omega-6, but also very high in phytoestrogens, way more of this, this vegetable estrogen than soy protein. And yeah. I, is that of concern to you? Oh, yeah. This is, this is a, I mean, I know this topic inside and out. And I yeah. think that, that, that this whole issue of phytoestrogens is so mislabeled. Okay. These, are, these, are, these are modulators, right? It's sort of like a thermos, right? A thermos mm -hmm. knows what to do. It keeps your lemonade cold in the summer and your soup hot in the winter, right? These are modulators. They're like selective estrogen receptor modulators that actually don't stimulate estrogen unless you eat them in huge quantities. 
and they actually can protect you against the dangers of environmental estrogens or xenoestrogens. So they're very protective. And I, I think flax seeds, chia seeds, uh, whole soy foods can be very helpful if you are a woman or even a man in using them to help balance some of the hormonal issues. And I think you know when you when you look at the negative effects, there's been a lot of research on this, and I, I can share it with you, looking at how they negatively or positively affect your thyroid or your sex hormones, and there really is no evidence that they're really a problem. I think when, when you say whole soy, do you mean edamame or do you mean like soy? Protein? I mean like tofu. I mean tofu. I mean oh. traditional soy foods, tempeh. Oh, okay. In, in amounts that have been eaten traditionally, right? Same in, thing. Oh, in, okay, in a small amount there, right? Fine. Right. I, I, so I like, agree there. Right. Okay. So it's like it's like you know you think about well tofu is good, but it doesn't mean you eat it six times a day, right? And you don't scramble it like eggs because it's not eggs, right? Right. 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 Okay. So I think having having it in 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 traditional ways is really important. So really, it's about a complex diet. It's about a lot of variables that affect you. And I think you don't want to sort of think this is one food I should have. It's good, so I should have a ton of it. I think that's, that's, that's you have to be careful of. But I, I think the whole issue of phytoestrogens, I'm not worried about. I think they, they're, they're, they know what to do, and they either block negative effects of estrogen, uh, and they can help reduce, reduce the risk, like lignans and phytoestrogen, flax seeds. Uh, and these, these have been well studied. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, lignans are something I'm, I'm paying a lot of attention to lately. So... Tell me a little bit about red meat and particularly fat from red meat. Like, should people be concerned about this? I, I keep getting all the you know the vegetarian. Ah, you're gonna die. You ate red meat, which, which sounds like so 1980s to me. Well, what, what's what's your take on red meat? I think that you know we looked at a, a study that was just came out recently. You probably saw where they found that organic or grass fed meat had 50 percent more omega three fats than feedlot beef. But you know when I wrote the book, I you know I want to know about meat because. Right. I have a lot of friends who are vegans who I love and yeah. a lot of friends who are paleo who I love. That's why I joke. I say I'm a pegan, right? I'm totally. like a paleo vegan. so much attention for making <laughs> up that word. That was cool. I know. It was really fun. And I, I, uh, and I sort of said, okay, look, I, I'm just going to step back. I'm going to try to suspend all my pre, predisposed beliefs, all my um, points of view, and I'm just going to look at the science and see what I can find. And I'm going to, at the end of the day, try to figure it out. So I really want to you know, realize that there are three main issues around meat. First is moral, second is environmental, and the third is health. And they're yes. separate, and they get conflated, right? They get conflated. So I think, let's just take moral quickly. Moral, I think, <laughs> is, I'm good with that. You know, people have a yes. religious or moral issue. I mean, I have, I have Buddhist monks as patients. I'm not going to say, you need to eat meat, right? I think you can eat, I had, a, I had the abbot of Menry, who was the 33rd abbot of Menry, is from the head of the bun religion who was diabetic. And I'm like, you're eating all this, you know, some, yeah. which is barley flour and yeah. stuff every, every morning. It's like, it's like Tibetan cookie dough. And I'm right. like, <laughs> what a great description. Yes. I'm like, you've probably had it, right? It's like, Tibetan. right, of course. And it's like, I'm like, you can't eat this. It's like, it's my traditional food. I'm like, no, no, no. It's your traditional food if you're at 17,000 feet hurting yaks all day, not right. if you're sitting on a meditation cushion and you're 80 years old. So we got him on a high fat, uh, good quality protein, lots of vegetables, nuts and seeds. Got him off a lot of starch and grains, and he did great. He lost 35 pounds, reversed his diabetes. So I'm not I'm not opposed to that for moral reasons. Environmental reasons, absolutely. This is a big issue. I think feedlot farming, factory farming, industrial agriculture has to stop. It yeah, has stop to, eating that right now. <laughs> it has to stop, both for health reasons and for environmental reasons. We yeah. are degrading our environment dramatically. With climate change is impacted through methane from the cows in a dramatic way. We're seeing that you know one fifth of all the fossil fuels used on fuel used on the planet is used for growing animals for human consumption, industrial agriculture. We see degradation of our waters through depletion of aquifers. We see depletion of the soil, and and the soil uh, is is being 
damage so that we're losing acres and acres every day to arable land. We are actually um, we are actually seeing dramatic changes in the 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 toxicity in the water as well. It's affecting yeah. plant life, animal life, pesticides, fertilizers. All that's real. So I think from an environmental point of view, we should immediately stop factory farming, and and yes. that's going to limit meat consumption dramatically. And then sure. I and I think then there's the health issues, and then then we have to get serious science. So there's people on both sides who go, oh, you know, um, you know, meat's going to kill you, or meat's you know the answer to all of our health problems, right? So there's like these two camps. Like, well, what do you believe, right. right? So you start to look at the science, and I really look carefully at this because everybody will cherry pick what they want, and I looked at all of it. So not just the ones that you know, supported my point of view, right? And I didn't really have a great point of view. I'm like, I don't know. I, I want to look to be 120. I want to eat the right stuff. I better check this That's out. That's it? You're oh. really only expecting 120? I was saying 150, but I thought that was, you know, too, too much. I'm, I'm at 180, okay? So I'm, I'm going to kick your ass there, Mark. I, okay. I expect you to have dinner with me when I'm 180, which means you're going to have to be like 212 or something. All right. But okay. seriously, right. come I'll on. Work on it. I'll work on it. How about, how about, we, how about we meet when, when I'm 100? We, we start okay. there. It, it's a deal. <laughs> Uh, we meet over a cup of bulletproof. All right. So, so the the meat thing here's here's the deal with with the meat research. There is a lot of epidemiologic research, population studies that show meat actually is harmful. But then you look at what that means. Okay. So let's look at what these studies are. Population studies. They do food frequency questionnaires. They ask what you ate last week, last month, whatever yesterday. You kind of have to remember. And then depending on you know what the fad of the day is, you might. Your answer might be a little biased anyway. So the, yeah. it's not great research, but it's the best we have. And then they try to control for the confounding factors. Now, there is no <laughs> way, in my view, to control for confounding <laughs> factors. when So the meat eaters, here's, here's what the meat eaters were like. They ate 800 calories a day. They ate far fewer fruits and vegetables. They ate more fried foods, more processed food, more sugar and refined carbs. They drank more, they smoked more, they exercised less, they never took vitamins. Guess what? They were a sicker bunch. They had... More heart disease, more cancer, more diabetes, and it was bad, right? So was it the meat or was it all the rest of the crap? Well, I vote for the rest of the crap. Second is, so they actually took people who were eating meat, who were actually uh, shopping at health food stores, comparing to vegetarians who shopped at the health food stores. And when they looked at 11,000 people over many, many years, they found there was absolutely no difference. Because guess what? The meat eaters were eating meat in the context of a healthy diet. They probably weren't eating feedlot meat. You know, this is, all these factors yeah. matter. And by the way, the meat in those studies that I just talked about that showed it was harmful were all feedlot factory farm yes. meats with high levels of omega-6s, with inflammatory components, low levels of omega-3s, hormones, antibiotics, pesticides, you name it. So really a problem. And then I look at the interventional studies, right? Not just the, the uh, sort of population studies, but let's look at what happens when you actually feed people meat. What happens? Well, these studies show that, on the whole, people do way better. They have less inflammation. Their cholesterol gets better. Their insulin gets better. Their triglycerides get better. They lose weight. They have more body muscle, less body fat. So I look at all these studies in, in concert, all together, and my conclusion is having animal protein as part of your diet is okay if it's the right kind, and that if you don't have a moral obligation to not eat it, then that's fine. And it shouldn't be huge amounts. I don't think that... Uh, people should be eating, you know, seventy-two ounce T-bone yeah. steaks. I don't think. I mean, it should be the palm of your hand, and it's the palm of your hand, not Shaquille O'Neal's hand. I was like, right, <laughs> right? not Shaquille O'Neal's hand, right? So, and I think, uh, I think we we also have to realize, you know, we can think of meat more as a condiment. I call it condom meat, right? Condom yeah. meat. So that's my and, and, and excessive 
protein, uh, vegetable or plant, uh, sorry, vegetable plant or, or meat, is actually inflammatory and raises insulin, right? Like there's not a yes. benefit to eating lots of yes. meat. Yes, yes. So we need about 30 grams uh, per meal in order to actually help with protein synthesis, muscle formation, and so forth. So a little's good, but too much, you're right, it actually causes something called gluconeogenesis. So the part that you don't make into muscle, you turn into sugar. Yeah. So I have a friend who's a type 1 diabetic, like, man, if I eat too much protein, I need to take a lot of insulin, right? Right. And she's actually doing a study of, of, of about um, 1,000, 1,300 type 1 diabetics on a ketogenic diet to see how <laughs> great they can control it. She showed me her blood sugars. I'm like, oh my God, she's a doctor. We're yeah. going to have a great time with this. I just had a, a, a Bulletproof uh, follower who sent me her uh, implantable uh, blood glucose meter. She's yeah. a type 1 diabetic who uses Bulletproof coffee. She's like, well, I just have a new, a new thing, but I know you'll have fun playing with this because I totally reduced my insulin like something by 80% just by switching yeah. to a ketogenic diet. Like it, It's remarkable. Right. So my, yeah, it's amazing. And you know, so in my book, I basically viewed all the research I could, and I basically you know, found there was about 8,000 words I had to in the book on meat wow. just to answer this question. So I, I really took a okay. hard stab at it. Thank you I, for it's doing great. that. Yeah, I mean, Eat Fat Get Thin, it just summarizes all the research that I could find to give the answers of what the heck should I eat and what fats, what kind of foods should be good and what's the story on all these different fats because everybody's so confused. All right, uh, Bulletproof listeners, now you know why uh, Mark is on the show today. You need <laughs> to go out there, pick up a copy of Eat Fat Get Thin, if you liked the Bulletproof diet, if you're paleo, even if you're vegan and you listen to this just so I can make you mad when I tell you that you should eat some meat, whatever <laughs> whatever the deal is, um, there is a wealth of knowledge in this. It's very well researched. Uh, you, if you listen to this conversation, you know Mark is a good guy. He knows who he's talking about. I, I, he, he's also incredibly well credentialed. The Cleveland Clinic is one of the top clinics in the country. So if you're going to read books like this, read Mark's book, uh, read Always Hungry by David Ludwig, uh, who's one of Mark's friends, who was just on yep. Proof Radio. Um, this is important stuff, and it's all going to lead you in the same general direction. Eat less toxic crap, eat more <laughs> of the right kinds of fat, right? and great. and eat a ton of vegetables. And, and it's not that hard. No. And there's nuances, and there's lots of ways you can tune and tweak. And you can be yeah. a high-performance race car, uh, or you can just be like a daily driver Honda, but you're going to be a lot better than the broken-down wreck that you might either that you either are, are or that you are on your way to becoming if you're not doing this kind of stuff. Like, like this is just yeah. fundamental to, it, to being human. It's so true, David. It's so true. You know, I think that the, the key thing people don't realize, it's not just about weight loss, right? Yeah. When, when, uh, when I did the 1,000 people in the beta test, not only did they obviously lose weight and they blood pressure dropped dramatically and blood sugar dropped 23 points, but we had them fill out what I call the FLC quiz, which is when you feel like crap, the feel like crap quiz. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, then, and people are like, do I have sinus problems, joint pain, headaches, yeah. insomnia, irritable bowel, bloating, you know, fatigue, whatever it is. And we give them a score. It's like a quantitative quiz. And at the end of the day, they take the score after the 21 days. And they had a 68% reduction in all symptoms from all diseases. I mean, there's no drug on the planet that can reduce your chronic disease symptoms by 68% in 10, in 10 or 21 days, which both of my programs have done. It's pretty amazing. So I would say there's no more powerful drug in the universe than what you put at the end of your fork. Very well said. Mark, there's a final question on the show. Yes. If someone came to you tomorrow, you don't know anything about them, and they said, Mark, I want to kick ass at everything I do in life. I want to be a better human being. What are the three most important things I need to know? What would you say? Um, eat whole food, 
move your body, and connect to your heart and love. There you go. Well, well said, and thank you for being a guest on Bulletproof Radio. Thanks for being a friend, and just thanks for doing your work, man. Thanks, like you're Dave. standing up, you're you're fighting against an enormous, enormous just backlog of crap that's 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 been built up. It's a belief system that isn't based on science or reason, but it takes a lot of courage and energy to stand up to it. And I love watching you do what you do. So to thank keep you. it up, thank you. I'm not stopping. <laughs> Good, don't stop. Thanks, Dave. If you appreciated today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to eatfatgetthin.com. Head on over to Amazon and pick up a copy of Mark Hyman's book, Eat Fat, Get Thin. It's got my full endorsement. It is, uh, it's a wonderful book, and it's full of science that tells you why you ought to be doing these things. And if you have concerns, if you have questions, they'll probably be addressed in the book. And if not, head on over to the Bulletproof Forums. Head on over to Mark's website. You can ask questions there. The, the point there is... is it's not just a lone voice in the wilderness. It's not just the paleo community. It's not just the vegan community. There's all kinds of evidence pointing this out. The evidence has been here for a long time, and no one's talked about it, and the internet changed all that. So pick up the stuff, learn, and check it out. And while you're at it, subscribe and get some Bulletproof coffee because, hey, that's without it, right? <laughs> Have a great day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.